Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. You don't understand. This is a liar. How can you think that I'm her dad, but we both look exactly the same age? We do not look the same age. I was being kind. Wait, I'm going to hypnotize him. I hereby christen this mutton Barbie camper. Priscilla, queen of the desert. Hello and welcome to this episode of Pop Goes the Tam Tam. This year marks the finale of my favourite long-running paranormal comedy, Ghosts. So, to celebrate and commiserate that fact, I have decided to review the first six episodes of Series 1. Joining me on this reviewing journey will be a selection of special guests who will be sitting down with me to discuss a different episode each week. Long-term listeners will know that this is where I usually put in a summary of the show or film I'm about to review. So here goes the plot synopsis of Ghosts. Alison Cooper unexpectedly inherits the vast but crumbling button house from a distant relative. The house is haunted by numerous squabbling ghosts from across the ages who died on its grounds and are invisible and intangible to the living. Ignoring their solicitor's advice to sell the property, Alison and her husband Mike decide to move in and renovate it with the idea of turning the house into a luxury hotel. To discuss this first episode, I'm joined by a very special guest. Announce yourself, special guest. Hi, it's me, Tamsin's mum. That's right, Tamsin's mum is back on the pod. I am. Now, Tamsin's mum, Cohort Corner, has asked me once again to check in with you. How are you? I'm fine. Good. So, let's get into the episode. Who do you think you are? I'm a solicitor and I'm calling to inform you that you have, in fact, inherited a house. This is it. It's all ours. What did that girl just say? She must be related to you. This is going to make one incredible hotel. (gasps) What will become of us? We could always try. Haunting. Before we start the episode review, I just wanted to ask how you actually found the series. I didn't watch the original airing of the programme, which is odd because I do love ghost stories. And I I loved horrible histories because when you were little... You loved Horrible Histories, didn't you? Yes, I did. I used to watch it with you, and it was such fun. But you, if I remember this correctly, you found it in lockdown. Yeah, that's true. And you said to me, Mum, I think you'd enjoy this. And so I watched it, and I did. I enjoyed it as much as you did. And we've been firm fans ever since, haven't we? Yes, we absolutely love it. We do. We love (laughs) it. So this is going to be a biased review. It really is. So let's get in to the episode. So in this first episode, we're introduced to the cast of ghosts that live, well, that reside in Button House. And they are Pat, a former scoutmaster with an arrow sticking through his neck. That's how he died. Did he die like that though? (laughs) Do you think that's what killed him? Well, I've got a sneaky suspicion. Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was a nut allergy. 
or hurtful comments from his peers. <laughs> so, Pat, so Pat, who may or may not have been killed by an arrow. <laughs> Kitty, an 18th century lady who appears to have no obvious death injury. No. No. Fanny, who again appears to have no obvious death injury, even though we know that she died by being pushed out of a window. Strange. It is strange. I thought she'd be flatter, you know? Yeah, or like neck broken or something. Or neck broken. <laughs> I'd love a pre-watershed show that has neck broken. <laughs> We've got a headless man. Yeah, but his his stump looks like it's been cauterised at some point. Uh, yeah, it didn't very, I don't know, I've never seen a beheaded person, so... You said that very quickly. It makes me wonder. <laughs> oh, oh. I, I know you're old, but are you old enough to be no. Henry VIII's executioner? Absolutely not. <laughs> There's Julian, who died from no trousers. <laughs> Mary, who is very singed. Very, very singed. Yeah, she's very singed. She had an accident, I would say, with some straighteners. Do you think so? Yes. Yeah. Robin, who is a caveman. He is. But he's got a scientific name. Go and give it to me. <laughs> You're looking at me! <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, Homo sapien? Is he a Homo sapien? Is he a Neanderthal? Oh, is he a Neanderthal? I don't know. I don't know. You Not know sure. all about things like this. Uh... He could be Neanderthal, I don't know. We could look it up. We'll do that later. Okay. <laughs> You're implying that there's some sort of research gone into this. You know we never research these pods. No, we don't. These episodes are unresearched. Yeah, but you'd never you would never get an inkling of that. Because we do it so professionally. People must think we research for hours. Exactly. I mean you're listening now, dear listener, and you're thinking I had no clue that they went in as unprepared as they do. <laughs> Thomas, who is a late 18th century poet, and Humphrey, the headless one, the one that Tamsin's mum beheaded, clearly. <laughs> Hang on, you've just indicated you've got a story. What's the story? A headless ghost story. Okay. So, when I was growing up, there was always a, a legend that there was a headless horseman, a cavalier from the, um, I don't know, Monmouth Rebellion or maybe the Civil War, that rode up and down without his head, down up and down Skimmerton Lane. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> paranormal fact there. There you go. A real one. Paranormal fact number one. Number one. Numero uno. We may have more. We may have more. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so, just so that people can watch out for this uh, headless guy in Skimmerton Lane. On a horse. On a horse, with his horse. Is the horse headless? What happened to the horse? How did the horse become a ghost? Good question. Mm. No clue. No clue. I don't believe it now. <laughs> you think you believed it before? No. <laughs> Well, you have lived a long time. You know, you were the it's head executioner. It's just awful. 
You were the head executioner for Henry VIII. You must have seen some stuff in your time. So probably I'm going to give that one to you. I'm not going to respond. But where is this location? Where can people avoid going? Skimmerton Lane? Yeah. I'm not saying it's a secret. (laughs) (laughs) So we first meet the ghost gang as they gather around the bedside of the dying lady button and we get our first proper look at the ensemble and I have to say I think they did a really good job in the first five minutes of kind of explaining to you who each of these characters were Mm. yeah I think so too I I think I think this whole episode is structured so cleverly that you're you're made aware from the beginning who each of these people are and and what's happening and i think the exit of lady button the fact that she's they want to talk to her and they do talk to her but then she goes sort of explains that so they've missed that boat yeah and they're stuck there and thomas explains to lady button when she says who are you he says we're left here to travel the earth yes i completely agree and it also gives us some of my favourite things, which is Pat's high-pitched voice. Do me ten. Oh, no, no. If you listen to what I actually said... Oh, don't I you said, start. Oh, oh, you. I love Pat's high-pitched voice. It's brilliant. <laughs> and you've got Julian and, and Robin betting. Yes. Well, you've got the bromance that is Julian and Robin. And can I just ask, if you got the choice between, if you were in Lady Button's position and you got the choice between staying or getting sucked off, what would you choose? Good question. I mean, they don't really sell it to her, do they? I mean, I think the problem was that it was Thomas speaking and Thomas is like such a big turn off. <laughs> when he speaks. <Yeah. laughs> He's one of those people who, who instead of using one word, uses 50 to show off what a vocabulary he has. Yeah, cause it's, it's so funny when he's, he's doing this sort of eulogy and, and as he's doing it, he looks out the window and when he turns back, they've all gone. I love that. Yeah. It's so funny. And we also get Humphrey's problems between his head and his body. No connection. There's no connection there, no. No. I actually don't think his body likes him. I don't either. (laughs) And as you say, Thomas perfectly encapsulates the problem that's now facing the ghosts in Button House, which is Lady Button died with no children no ancestors so who's gonna get the house now no buttons the last button of button house it's a buttonhole (laughs) (laughs) i actually think as well i wonder if the last button of button house would have been a better title for this episode yeah yeah but with no children of her own who then will come to call this home that leads us to be introduced to the only livings in the series that we actually care about (laughs) Alison and Mike Cooper so I made some notes a little bit about this and I'm just going to turn the page for audio dramatic effects here we go what in the pre 
pandemic fantasy world are Alison and Mike actually living in. That flat that they were showed in London that they didn't like. How on earth were they able to afford that? I have personally lived in worse flats than that in London. At least it had its own separate kitchen. You've got no words. <laughs> no, I've got no, I was lucky I lived in lovely places in London, so. All right. <laughs> All right. But it kind of opens up for me. I would say I do have this one problem with Alison and Mike, which I is. I know what it is. Where do they get their money from? You're going to need a certain level of income to get a flat in London. And not just the flat, though, the loan for Button House. Yeah, that's true. Okay, how could he have uh, obtained a loan on his own when, in actual fact, Alison inherited the property? It's her property. Well, how did he get a loan when she was in a coma? No, that doesn't make sense. And I'm going to mention American Ghost this one time and this one time only. Good. I know. And I'm going to say the one jump that they have on our ghosts is that they gave their couple jobs. She's a journalist. He's a chef. It makes sense that they have some disposable income. They have some savings. Whereas we're never told what Mike and Alison do. Like, what did they do in their lives before Button House? I mean, one line of dialogue just saying that they'd given up teaching to become hoteliers mm. would have fixed that for me. You've got a theory. What is it? Okay, my theory is Alison is an orphan. So my supposition is this, that when her parents died, she inherited their property and their life insurance, mm -hmm. which... Those two things combined, generally speaking, would give you some sort of financial cushion, really. Yeah, that does make sense. But it doesn't account for Mike. <laughs> no. One of my favourite scenes in this episode is Alison and Mike in the solicitor's office. Oh, yeah. I love how he... Mike eats... Yeah. <laughs> and... Was it me or could you just taste that? I know. And the way she squeezes his leg under the table. It's so funny. <laughs> and I like how the solicitor is so nonplussed by them. Mm. I also like the way it introduced Button House. Because we saw Button House, first of all, when Lady Button was dying. And we saw what a grim state of repair it's in. Yeah. But in this... We see Button House again. We see the exterior of Button House in the photograph. Mm. And it feels as if the house itself, like if you take something like Sex in the City, where the city is the fifth character, mm. Button House is very much a character in this. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And a receptacle. Yeah. Very clever. I also loved the scene in which Alison and Mike are driving to Button House. Oh, yeah. And it kind of reminded me of the overhead shots 
when you are going up to the Overlook Hotel in The Shining. So you kind of had that from above the car. Yeah. And yeah. You, you kind of had that music, that kind of scary music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it kept cutting, like jump cutting the, into yeah. the car and they were singing. <laughs> yeah. And I just absolutely loved that from the off, this episode of Ghost has tried to confound and surprise the audience by you think it's going to be one thing and then it's something else. Mm. So I liked how when we first met the ghosts in the beginning, they seemed quite serious, quite pompous. But then the minute Lady Button disappeared, they relaxed into who they actually were. Yeah. I feel like you've got that again with this scene with Alice and Mike in the car. So we've got this expectation. Oh, no, they're going to a haunted house. <laughs> it's so scary. But in the car, they're seeing Britney Spears. Yeah. And I also liked the way that Alison had that big monologue about feeling as oh. if she was travelling home. And then she's going up this lane and it turns out to be the wrong lane. Yeah. And she's given this whole monologue. And it just feels so... Like you kind of get to grips with who she is as a character. Definitely. And it is funny. Yeah, it's really funny and it confounds your expectations. Yeah. But in a way that doesn't make the audience feel stupid. Meanwhile, at Button House, we actually see the day-to-day -day lives of the ghosts. And, I mean, let's get into it. They're on their last nerve. Yeah, it's just been boring and repetitive forever. And I love that note in Pat's voice where he goes, Please! Give us something to look forward to. <laughs> you get a real sense of boredom, listlessness, desperation. Eternity. Yeah, because you think about all these people trapped in the house. And the first couple of years when they knew each other, maybe they had some stories. Mm. But they've told each other all the stories by now. There's nothing left to say. There's nothing left to do. And of course, we get the iconic measuring things in potato high oh, from no. Mary. Five potatoes high. <laughs> With a bit of mud on it. <laughs> you don't have to have the mud on it. I measure everything in potatoes high, personally. What I about you? I love a you? potato. You love a potato? <laughs> I love a potato. Now, we also get talk of the witch trial mm. and we learn that the reason why mary's so singed is that she was burned in a witch trial mm. so i just want to put on my history degree hat <laughs> is that the official tune for it yeah and i want to say that in this country obviously we did have witch trials but the witches were not burned they were hanged mm -hmm. Witches were burned in Scotland. Scotland and they were burned on the continent. So I was a bit surprised to learn that Mary had been burned at the stake. And when I first saw her, I initially thought that she was a servant who had burned to death. Mm. Um, because that was one of the number one killers for servants. Really? Yeah, it was burning to death or falling down the stairs. Domestic accidents were really common throughout 
most of the early modern period which is the time period in which Mary comes from and I naturally assume that she was just a cook well not just obviously but that she was a cook or a domestic servant who had been burned in a fire we've seen um uh, where are you going with well, this no, I'm just saying, <laughs> we've seen uh, back stairs haven't we Stairs, yeah. and they're not like the stairs that the family would have used are they no, it's really interesting. So back stairs, um, there's some great examples. If you go to number one, the Royal Crescent in Bath, which also doubles for the Featherington's house in Bridgerton, there they have great examples of where the servants, the back stairs for the servants. And what you actually see is that the tread, so the actual the the step that the servants would have used is about a quarter of the size of the people who actually own the house or rent in the house. And when you think what they would have been carrying up and down yeah. the stairs, it, with no guardrails or banisters mm. either, it's not surprised. I mean, I'm surprised they all didn't fall down the stairs. I would also say the idea that Mary's been burned in a fire that happened in a kitchen, there's more weight on that because yeah. the fact that it was such big, open, inglenook fireplaces. And yeah, people were always getting scolded and caught on fire. And sadly, there is a lot of flammable material. Mm. However, I'm prepared to look past the... Inaccuracies. Inaccuracies, yes. To say that I think Mary being burned in the witch trial is more interesting to her character, mm. I think. Yeah, because she won't talk about it, will she? Even no. Even now she can't talk about it. And I think the truth of Mary's character is about someone who discovers their voice. I did notice in this scene as well that the ghosts that we have in the house conform to archetypes of your classic haunted house. So, for instance, we've got the headless ghost in the form of Humphrey. We've got the grey lady. I mean, to me, she looks more cream, but that's Fanny. We've got the soldier and the captain. And we've got Kitty, who's the 18th century lady. Mm. And I also like the fact that they included plague ghosts. Because they're not ghosts that you often hear about, are they? the ordinary person that died in a plague yeah i think that's interesting you always kind of hear about oh there was a plague pit or somewhere's got a plague pit like a lot of the tomb station in in london mm. are built over plague pits mm. and that's kind of why people think there's like paranormal activity and things like that there but yeah i think you're right individual plague ghosts are something that you don't necessarily see or hear about no so, yeah, I also like that. As we've established, Mike and Alison turn up at the house and not everyone is thrilled to see them, especially when they realise that they might be turning Button House into a hotel. Something I really liked about this, their first thought was murder, not haunting. Yeah, I know. Secondly, I want to say to Kitty... You lived in the 18th century during the bloody code. You're at least doing five things that would lead you to be hanged already. Don't worry about the murder. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I liked how it separated the characters into pro-murder, anti-murder. And I thought it was really interesting how that divide fell. So you had obviously ones like Pat was anti. Yeah. Thomas fancies Kim Wilde. So (laughs) he was anti. Kitty was anti. But more about not wanting to be hanged. (laughs) But then you had the captain... You had Julian, you had Mary, who were pro. And I yeah. thought that was really interesting. Obviously Robin as well. And I, and the little speech by Fanny. Yeah. It was brilliant, I thought. Yeah, because I would say each guest kind of gets an episode, but I would call this one Fanny's episode. Yeah. Because it really focuses on her story, what happened to her. Mm. So finally, they make the decision to actually do a bit of haunting instead of murder, okay? And I really liked the way they played with the hauntings and they, like they had the archetypes of the ghosts, they had archetypes of hauntings. So, Mm. for instance, you've got Fanny doing the stone tape thing. Yep. What is stone tape? Okay, stone tape. So this is a theory that really awful things happening and people experiencing violent or terrifying emotions are somehow transmitted into a physical thing like a wall or a road and can be, because they're in the actual fabric of something, can be repeated over and over again. But as they happened when those emotions were prevalent. I see. So like... uh... A videotape or something. Yeah, and in that, the past. that's why when when they say about, um, you often hear about Roman soldiers. Mm-hmm. You see the Roman soldiers, mm-hmm. the column, but only from the waist up, right? Because the level of the level of ground rises over time. I see. That's very interesting. It is quite interesting. So that's what Fanny appears to be experiencing because she has no consciousness of what's happening. And she's repeating the moments before her death every night. I should actually say that this is one of the reasons, Fanny's death is one of the reasons why I didn't watch Ghosts when it first aired. Because having watched that clip, I didn't like the idea that domestic violence and the murder of a woman was being played for laughs. Obviously, I know that that is not the case having watched the full series but at the time it did make me feel uncomfortable i can see exactly where you're coming from because when you look at it like that the trailer itself is quite tone deaf yeah i would agree Mm. we also get audio and sensory ghosts that's the plague girl jemima and mary jemima can sing a really, really creepy <laughs> version of... And I know it. Exactly. I mean, that's a creepy song, but when you add creepy child voice to it, it's even creepier. It's so creepy. And Mary can make a smell like burning. Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, poor Mary. She can never escape the I trauma. I love the way the smoke comes off her. Yeah, when she's really, like... Upset. Yeah. Oh, I feel so sorry for Mary. And then, finally... We have classic poltergeist activity in Robin, who can do the thing with the lights. Yeah. And Julian, who can move things by chanting shawadiwadi. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also established 
in this that not all the ghosts have abilities to communicate or be seen by the livings. No. So, for instance, the captain, Thomas, Kitty and Fanny don't appear, appear to have any particular powers at the moment. At the moment. Hinting. Spoilers. Spoilers. Hinting. (laughs) And I just want to say I loved the introduction of Playgirl Jemima. so scary she really is that little girl was brilliant and i love the reaction to her as well they're all terrified yeah and even that, pat even pat who tries to see the best in everybody is just absolutely horrified by her <laughs> my favorite is when they're standing in line and she comes forward and stands next to the captain and he looks at her and he goes oh yeah it's just a great <laughs> moment of comedy. It's amazing. And I also love when they try the haunting and Mike's put on the music so nobody can hear her singing and she's like looking around like, this never happens. <laughs> I'm doing my thing. You asked me to come up from like the basement. Here I am. And who's paying attention to me? <laughs> I also like that Thomas mentioned that when he was alive, he heard a story that there was a ghost girl that resided at Button House. Yeah. So I like the idea that they've kind of seeded in that Button House has been kind of famously haunted in the local community for a long time. Long, long time. Yeah. And you've got that whole, I mean, it's really depressing when you think about it, but it's like a loop. Like, he heard about that story about a house that was haunted, and then he becomes a ghost at the same house. It's yeah. like destiny that you can't get away from it. So in that way, it also leans quite heavily into other pieces of media that have dealt with paranormal activity. For instance, Haunting of Hill House. And the opening shot of Button House in the fog reminded me very much of the Nicole Kidman film, The Others. So I really like all the way through, you get references to The Shining, Haunting of Hill House, The Mm. Others. There's lots of references to famous paranormal films. The Haunting is, of course, a disaster because these ghosts can't haunt. It's a dismal failure. It really is. And just when they think that they're going to have to face a life with Alison and Mike in a hotel in a hotel full of guests Julian comes across Alison hanging out of a window and pushes her out (laughs) so far in this episode there have been an a plot and a b plot the a plot is the inheriting of the house we get to know Alison Mike and the ghosts the b plot which has been simmering away is a range The captain's annoyance of Fanny jumping out the window at night and her screaming. That all comes together now. After Alison has been pushed out of the window, we learn that the reason why Fanny's doing the whole stone tape thing is because that is how she died. She came across her husband, Pon the gardener, who was a Pon him. A man witch. A man witch. (laughs) (laughs) a man witch as mary calls it (laughs) and rather than trust fanny to live with this secret her husband literally bumps her off he pushed her out of the window and that's why she's stuck in that stone tape 
and it's it's lovely the way she says but she did keep it she kept the secret until today <laughs> i also like the fact that thomas mary kitty and robin all saw that happen yeah and julian's like i wish i'd seen it I know. oh what did he call it he called it a moroccan tea party a moroccan tea party <laughs> <laughs> He is so grim. He's so grim. At the hospital, we learn that Alison did not die, although she did die for a little bit, and she was put into a coma. Induced coma. Induced coma, or as Mike calls it, a two-week sleep. (laughs) She's nothing if not basic. Exactly. (laughs) That's why we love Mike. (laughs) Mike has also gone and got a building survey done while Alison was having a nap. But more than the building survey, more than the loan that he tells her he's managed to get in the car, the most important thing is that Alison can now see the dead. That's right. Alison can see ghosts. (laughs) (laughs) Or it should be... I'm keeping that in. No way. <laughs> so, due to our accident, Alison now has the ability to both see, speak and hear ghosts. Yeah, because it's so good when she goes in and, and there are all the building guys there and, and Julian, and she says, you should be wearing a hard hat. I and love... amazement when he goes back to tell the others. That's what I was going to say. I love his reaction as he kind of like slowly <laughs> backs away from her and his eyes go really wide. Yeah. And also, how scary it is when they all start to come into the room. Yeah, they look so ominous, don't they? Yeah, they do, because they are, they're like, is this, what is going on here? And they're interested, so they, yeah, you're right, they seem really ominous, and they all appear, and then finally, we have your, you know, the one that you cut the head off, Humphrey, his body appears, and you get that chop star... And uh, Alison it, it loses like it. It's like a leg of ham or something, doesn't it? it? I mean, I'm a vegetarian. It's been a long time since I saw a leg of ham, but I think you're right there. It really does, which makes me it makes me think even more that it was cauterized. Yeah. There's no sort of viscera or anything. Skin hanging off. Yeah, it. that would make you think. You know. Anyway. <laughs> This is not a podcast about beheadings. No, <laughs> and that I wouldn't be on it. Well, no, well, you would though because you used to work for Henry VIII. Just keep bringing that up. I mean, and that's where we leave this episode. Yeah, and it's a great. I think a great cliffhanger. I think it's an amazing cliffhanger because you really want to know what's next. Exactly. So. We're going to put in a rating system. We're going to rate with numbers and with jumpers. Okay? So firstly, what would you give this first episode out of ten? Nine. Okay. It's not ten. Hmm, interesting. And you're the guest, so you get to rate the episode. What about, what, 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 just out of interest, what would you have given it? I would give it a nine or a ten. Would yeah. you too, yeah. Exactly. I thought it was just such a solid, great way to introduce us to the premise, yeah. to the characters, yeah. to the stakes. It did everything it needed to do, and it was really, really funny in the process. It was, yeah. 
it's it set set itself up so well and i already feel like i know how all of these characters will react to stuff yeah and, yeah, and that is that's genius yeah especially when this is the first time we've ever seen any of them yeah so it's just there straight away. Mm. There doesn't it doesn't feel like it needs to warm up into itself. I mean, a show that we also discovered during lockdown, which is Shit's Creek, I would say is the complete opposite of Ghosts because it took a long time oh, for absolutely. it to get going. Mm. Yeah, the first couple of episodes were hideous. Yeah, yeah, like really gross out, lowest common denominator Definitely. type humour. I didn't care for any of the characters. By the end of it, I absolutely loved everything and everyone and the show. It was so warm and clever. Yeah. But unlike Shit's Creek, Ghost hit the floor running. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, I would say, perfect. So, the rating out of Jumpers. As you will notice, dear listener, Alison wears a variety of jumpers that I personally really like. In this, she wears two jumpers that I particularly like. And so, I'm going to give this a rating of six jumpers out of ten. Wow. Exactly. Yes. Because, like with characterisation, we hit the ground running with the jumpers. And I'm here for it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me for this inaugural and I managed to get that word out you without did. fluffing it. Because it's not an easy one. It is not. I'm not sure I could say it. Inaugural. I did. You did. Well done. Congratulations. Well done. No, I've really <laughs> enjoyed it. Because I do. I thir- I love ghosts. I really do. I'm going to be so sad when the final one. Don't even go there. I'm gonna, I am going to cry. Well, hopefully this will give us some happiness before the end. Mm. Which is all you can really ask from life. Stay-